Hello and welcome to Travel Along. I'm Laura Lesensky, and in this episode, we remain in Chiang Mai, Thailand. I want to tell you about some of the various ways that you can experience meditation and learn more about Buddhism in Chiang Mai. I was supposed to go on a two-day retreat. That didn't work. Instead, I had an unexpected and amazing experience spending two days with a monk at a Buddhist university. And my friend Gail is also here to tell us about her immersive experience spending a week in a Buddhist temple outside Chiang Mai. So there's so many options in Chiang Mai, whether you're interested in just popping into a meditation session, talking to monks, asking them their questions, doing a short retreat, doing a long retreat, or an entire immersive experience. I think I've got some suggestions for you. I had an incredible experience, so come along with me to Chiang Mai, Thailand. So Chiang Mai is a city in northern Thailand, often visited by tourists, and for good reason. Northern Thailand is just a lot more chill than southern Thailand. It's calm. It's up in the mountains. It's a wonderful place to visit. If you want to hear more about Chiang Mai in particular, my last Thailand podcast focuses a lot more on that. Just wandering around the city, there's so many Buddhist temples. Big ones, small ones, wooden ones, golden ones. In the city, outside the city, up on the hills, they are everywhere. So there are a lot of ways to have smaller experiences with Buddhism and/or meditation in Chiang Mai. Someone that I talked to did a guided meditation in a temple in town, uh, led by a local monk. There are countless meditation centers in town. If you just Google that, you will find a gazillion. Another interesting one is the monk chat program. You can learn more about Buddhism this way, and also just do some really interesting cultural exchange. It doesn't even have to be about Buddhism. Uh, this is at uh, a university called MCU. I will not even attempt to say the full name of this university. It's very, very long and confusing to me. Uh, but MCU, and uh, it's the Monk Chat Program. And what it is is there are university students that are learning English. A lot of students go to this university as Buddhist monks because it's a cheaper alternative to get an education. Um, so some of these students continue on as monks, but many students uh, don't continue to be monks when they finish their education. Uh, it's a great way to have a cultural exchange. So I definitely recommend you can just stop by that program every weekday from 4 to 7 p.m. and you can just drop right in and I highly recommend you do. If you do, you will probably meet Pra KK, Pra means monk, who will come up a lot in this episode. But just wandering around town, whether or not you intend to learn about Buddhism and the life of monks, it's all around you here. Here are some sounds I heard just walking around town.
So I ended up signing up for a two-day retreat through the Monk Chat program at MCU. They do a, a one-day meditation every Friday, a two-day retreat that takes you off-site every Tuesday and Wednesday, and a four-day retreat once a month. So the time came to go. I packed my bags and I took my grab. That's Thailand's version of Uber out to the university, nervously showed up, and it turns out they did not have enough people to run it. They need at least five people to run it, and it turned out there were two of us, myself and Rachel from England. I was, of course, disappointed, but Pra KK said he would still do some things with us, and it just didn't seem very Buddhist to get all upset about it. So... They gave us half an hour to just wander around while we waited to see if anyone else might show up. So I looked at the temple on the campus and what turned out to be the Royal Graveyard. What a beautiful, beautiful place. White, just all of these white shapes. And there was a storm behind and the sun came out. You know, one of those moments where I got the best pictures ever of the Royal Graveyard. So anyway, then I wandered back and no one showed up. So they had to cancel it. It was not what I was expecting the experience that came at me for the next two days, but it was really fantastic. Pra KK was basically like, don't worry, you know, for free. Of course, we gave a donation at the end, but you don't have to pay for the meditation retreat. Just hang out with me for the next two days and you'll learn a lot. And that was definitely true. Uh, so first he gave us a little lesson on meditation, the reasons to do it, different kinds of meditation. And it was time for him to give a talk to a private group. So he had us just kind of sit on the side and join them. So a group of like 35 Americans came in. This is weird for me because I strangely ran into no other Americans on this trip to Thailand. So I always feel a little bit like this is my turf, but they were a great group. He talked generally about Buddhism and what it's like to be a monk. He showed us like how they wrap their robes and all kinds of fascinating things. And I saw right away that Pra KK was a special kind of monk. He was hilarious. He was honest and straightforward. He was happy to answer whatever questions we had. Then we went for a walk outside. There was a lovely little, of course, organic vegetarian restaurant on the campus, and we had some beet juice. It was really just kind of surreal and special to just be hanging out with a monk. Still, there's so many rules like not touching him or handing him things as a woman that made it a little awkward and just took a lot of my brain to try and pay attention to all of that. But he was really open to questions. And as I got to know him better, I got better at asking them as well. So then we did the monk chat thing. Another British guy joined us along with four monks from the university. I totally encourage people to show up for this program. I thought about doing it before I signed up for the program that I did, but I didn't really know like, oh, what would I ask a monk? But KK was really good at 
starting the conversation and encouraging everyone to interact, asking questions and just having us all go around and answer. We talked about all kinds of things from life in Myanmar, where three of the four students were from, um, to the difference between love and kindness and how love shows up differently in Buddhism versus other religions. In fact, I was doing a lot of deep thinking about love over these couple of days. As someone who was on an international trip with my girlfriend of a few months, falling more and more in love and taking some emotional risks. It's interesting to me because, and please take this entire podcast, including this, as um, musings from someone who does not know that much about Buddhism. It's interesting to me that so much of Buddhism is about being selfless and not harming others. But at the same time, the entire purpose of detachment is to protect yourself from hurt. And the idea is you don't love people too deeply because you may lose them. And that's how you live a happy life is by avoiding this pain of attachment. So I found that really interesting. That aspect to me feels selfish. Anyway, we talked about all kinds of stuff. How Thai monks shave their eyebrows, but in Myanmar they don't. So many different things. It was a pretty interesting moment when one of the students found out I was a biology teacher and immediately had questions for me, including, are trees alive? Now, the obvious answer is yes, but there was so much behind that question for him. It was a really difficult conversation for me because... All at the same time, he wanted to know, you know, is it okay to harm plants, despite the fact that they're alive? His friend wants to be reborn as a tree. Is that possible? There were so many things. Really, really fascinating conversations. Okay, I'm back at my hotel now, unexpectedly, and wanted to just keep track of some of the many things I learned today. There are 227 rules for monks. AK kept mentioning that specific number. There are the really important ones. I think there's four. Then there's the neutral rules and the minor rules. So the important ones are deal breakers and you must not do them. You'll be kicked out of the monkhood forever. For example, don't have sex. The neutral ones can be atoned for. You need to go on a retreat and meditate a lot of these seem to be about lust or touching. KK asked the students if any of them had ever broken a neutral rule, and one of them said yes, but not to ask him which one because he didn't want to lie. It was pretty funny. Um, and all of these intentions seemed really important. If you accidentally touch a woman or do so to help her out of a dangerous situation, it's okay. The minor rules are regularly broken, uh, but have some interesting reasonings behind them. Um, many of them, of course, seem completely ridiculous to me, but um, it would be pretty impossible to follow all these minor rules in modern Thailand. For example, you're not supposed to pee standing up because the stronger urine stream due to gravity is more likely to land on a bug and harm it. Other things like not drinking while you're standing up are about mindfulness. KK also gave us an interesting list of things that monks don't have to worry about. Food, as they're given donations for breakfast and lunch, and they don't eat afternoon. Shelter, they live at a temple. 
healthcare, they're provided care at the state-run hospitals, education. This is why a lot of people are novice monks as young peoples um, in order to get through school. I also learned that a monk has five belongings. See if you can guess them. There's their robe, their alms bowl that they uh, accept food donations in, their water cup, their razor, and a needle to repair their robe. It was pretty amazing today to just kind of see what KK's day was like. He teaches in all moments, from the tourists to his students. He is also a teacher um, of English and Buddhism at the university, um, to his assistant and everyone that he interacts with during the day. I overheard a little moment that I thought was really interesting. Uh, his assistant was putting out chairs for the group of Americans coming in, and he told her to slow down and place the chairs mindfully. Just something I don't normally think about as much as I think I would like to during my day. Definitely not what I signed up for here today, but pretty cool to spend the entire day with a really interesting guy. And hopefully tomorrow morning, we're gonna meet up again uh, and do some meditation. So we met up again at the monk chat place with KK this morning to do some actual meditation. Yesterday was a lot of discussion and theory and really fantastic. And so today we wanted to focus on practice. And so I've meditated before, but not a lot and not for a long time. So I'm familiar with the concept of kind of just letting when thoughts arise, acknowledging them and not dwelling on them and trying to focus on different things. I will also say we did more than two hours of meditation, which is a lot for a beginner. Uh, but he taught us a lot of different strategies and different kinds. It was fascinating. Um, he gave us a, a string of beads. I'm not sure what it's called. It, reminded me of a rosary in Catholicism. According to Healthline, mala beads, commonly known as a japa mala or simply a mala, are a type of prayer beads. So there you go. That's what we were using. Uh, so first thing we did was close our eyes, relax, and some, slowly count the beads by threes. And unfortunately, it turned out this was a game that I could get right or wrong. So I, I spent too much of my energy trying to get it right because I knew that it was supposed to end in a three. Uh, but uh, KK was pleased that it took me 10 minutes and it took Rachel 15 minutes to uh, go through and count the beads. So we were doing well. And then we tried a movement meditation. 
uh, you take one hand at a time and you lifting. I can't do it like he does very slowly and melodically, but lifting, turning. You're just moving your arm, moving. So we did that for about half an hour. And then he taught us the walking meditation that that was definitely the strangest for me. When I heard about it, I thought, okay, you're walking slowly while you're meditating, but it's far more intentional than that. Um, every single movement is kind of part of a chant and prescribed. Um, we walked in this room, we walked four meters and turned around and walked back four meters and it took us half an hour. If that gives you any idea. Um, so first you stand and meditate standing. You repeat standing three times as you kind of imagine a scan from your head to your feet and in reverse. Standing. And you feel it. Three times you have to say standing. Slowly and mindfully. Then the same. Intending to walk. Three times you have to say intending to walk. So even just the intention to begin walking took a while. Um, and then similar to the arm movements, we did lifting, moving, stepping with each foot. Um, and then when we got to the end, it was a similar method, a very slow turning intention to turn. So it was fascinating. We came back to the beads again, and this time tried to count the total number of beads as we meditated. Another sitting meditation, the kind where your legs go numb. Then we recovered from that, lying down. And then he said, oh shoot, it's almost noon, and monks can't eat afternoon, so we better go get some lunch. So we met up with his friend, which was cool, because we had heard stories about his best friend. And the four of us had some soup together, and just had the chance to talk more informally. And then he had another group coming in, so it was time to head back. He gave us a blessing. Okay, one more time. Okay. Palms your hands. Okay. So this is the last and final blessing. Please keep good wishes. Okay. If you know someone who already passed away, see the face of the person or who are in suffering. Please wish for them to recover their suffering or rest in peace. Okay. Close your eyes. Satu ayam jakota tena tenang sangka misupati tita tikara tangi daya sasa dana soba kapati soyati Tamo jayangita sedo pedana puja jakata urara Parang javiko namano pati nang tomehi puyang paso tangan <clears throat> wish you all live a long life with peace and happiness. May all be free from all kinds of suffering, be free from illness, sickness, be free from dangers and problems, be free from physical and mental suffering. I wish may peace and happiness be revealed to yourself, to your family, friends, and relatives. I wish may peace and happiness be revealed to all religions, all living beings, and to this world. I wish may you, yourself, your families, friends, relatives, and all living beings be free from hatred, violence, killing, war, and fighting. I wish may always 
peace and happiness be with you as you share with me. Can you say sadhu? Three times. It means amen, amen, amen in this way, okay? Spread your hands, open your eyes. So, teacher, come here, doctor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And we said goodbye. It, all in all, especially with what I expected to happen falling through, I learned a lot about Buddhism and Thailand, and it was really, really nice to slow down for a few days, and I hope to take some of this practice with me in the future and keep exploring meditation. It was pretty cool. There's a lot of ideas in Buddhism that I like, and a few that I'm not so sure about, but the whole intentionality and living in the moment aspect of it really draws me. It's very cool. Okay. It's happening. So I have here with me my friend Gail Lennox. Do you want to start by just telling us a little bit about your whole trip? Uh, well, the Thailand portion, we spent three weeks in Thailand, flying in and out of Chiang Mai. Uh, we spent a week in um, Chiang Mai. Then we spent a week at the Forest Monastery, which I'm going to be discussing. And then we spent a third week on a motorbike going around what is called the Golden Triangle. So visiting different stops that were accessible on our motorbike. That is amazing. That, a lot of people do Thailand that way, right? And Southeast Asia in general, I think. Yeah, I can't really imagine um, traveling there without a motorbike. Um, I was traveling with someone who was driving the motorbike. So I feel <laughs> like uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, travel that, that not everybody gets to do. And I was fortunate enough to do um, yeah. while I was my then partner. So. Wow. See that a lot of places you can rent motorbikes too, like on Koh Tao, the Island I was on and I really mm -hmm. wanted to, but not actually knowing how to drive one, I thought that would not be a good decision. Yeah. But I want to yeah. learn to drive one and go back to Asia. That would be awesome. Right. Yeah. They do rent them out depending on what country you're in the regulations in terms of getting like an international motorbike license. Um, some people are, some uh, oh. rental agencies are really strict about making sure you have that and other places are not so much. Um, I okay. don't think we had one in Southeast Asia and we were able to rent motorbikes in Thailand and Indonesia and Vietnam. So, cool. but that probably they're nicer if you have to have your, um, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't always get like well-functioning motorbikes. It's a good tip. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm going to be talking about my experience with um, Buddhism and meeting a monk and the meditation retreat I was supposed to do. Um, and mine was really 
aimed at foreigners and teaching people about Buddhism. It was through a university. So it sounds a lot more structured. Whereas your experience, as I understand, is just like dropping yourself into a functioning monastery that welcomed visitors and just living that life for a little bit. Is that right? Well, I mean, I think that there it was like you say, welcoming visitors. I think one of its functions was to welcome visitors. Their organizational structure was built around providing an introduction to Buddhism for mm. foreigners as well. There were That's a lot cool. of, I mean, cause it was a continuous cycle of people dropping in. Yeah, that makes sense. It definitely is an immersive experience. Um, it's not, you know, if you're going there, the expectation is if you're going there and you're staying for free, that you're also participating in, all of the activities, mm-hmm. you know, alongside mm-hmm. um, the people who live there and also the monks who are there. So that's cool. I like that about it. So, what did your day look like? What did um, you do? So, we woke up, I think, like around we were supposed to wake up I think at like 4 30. So that is an early start. It was an early start but the first hour we were supposed to be meditating praying in our like by our bed in our cabins. I don't think I I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's checking up on that yeah. Yeah but at like 5 30 it started with a offering of rice to the monks so We would essentially, uh, all the people who are staying there and all the people who live there, so the staff and the visitors would have a bowl of rice and a spoon and as the, and we would be on our knees. It was, it was actually quite uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. We were on our knees uh, and as the monks walked past every person would give them a spoon of rice from their dish into uh, the monk's urn. The idea is, if I understand it, that, um, you know, monks don't make money and they rely on offerings from people every morning for them to eat, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. We would eat twice a day. So our last, I think our first meal was after that rice offering our second meal was at 11 a.m and then we would fast after 11 a.m until uh, i think the last activity ended at eight and so you know there was no more food um there was i believe there was tea that was offered okay but no food well, that makes going to bed early and getting up early sound a bit more appealing when you can't eat after 11 a.m. Right. And, you know, it was really <laughs> yeah. hearty meals. They were delicious. And then we had at least three kind of prayer times, I guess. I believe one was a meditation. One was a walking meditation about midday and at the end of the day, there was a chanting session. So during the meditation at the morning, 
there was kind of an informational session. So they would teach about Buddhism. Um, oh, cool. I remember that they would talk a lot about the monkey mind. The monk mind. that I met used that exact same phrase. Yeah. The, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. The, just the whole idea that like our mind is jumping from thing to thing and always really active and we need to slow down and be mindful and quiet that, right? Mm-hmm. And then at night there was a chanting meditation, which was at least two hours long. Um, and we would, we all had like our song books. Wow. Chant in three languages, everything we would chant in three languages. Thai, Pali, and English. I believe oh. the Pali was what they were originally um, written in. Wow, that's so cool. Two hours is a long time. It was a long that time. Probably that took was some getting used to. Part. Yeah. I mean, and you were there for how many days? We were there like at, like seven days at least. That's a that's a long time. <laughs> did you find like did you find like it getting easier or harder like I could see getting used to it and getting into a stride but I could also see getting really tired of it yeah I feel like it got easier and then it got like harder and then we're like wait a second I we left a day earlier than we were originally planning because you were just over it well you know you've had the experience we want to stay for the chant again (laughs) Like yeah. I can't get through the chanting session again. Like honestly <laughs> for us, it was, it was just a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And we went in there thinking that we would do the silent meditation. It was, you kind of got the option to be silent or not be silent. Okay. People who were silent, like I believe wore something on their robes. By the way, when you get there, you change into white clothing. You either bring your own white clothing or they have a bunch of white clothing that's been donated. There was some aspect of like chores and helping out that you did too, right? Yeah. Yeah. The cleaning duties, it was expected that you were to help clean, but it was pretty unclear. Like the division of labor, labor wasn't really well divided. Mm -hmm. So especially when you first arrived there, you would kind of see people doing little bits. Um, It was definitely frowned upon to be sitting. You know, we all ate together and the expectation after we ate, we had to clean up. But like Mm -hmm. how to clean up, especially at the beginning, was really unclear. Um, And a lot of the people, the staff that lived there, Um, did not speak English. So, you know, they weren't really telling me what to do. Most people kind of just found a duty for the most part and did their own thing. You know, I remember one time, like not really knowing what to do. And I just started picking up like leaves from the ground. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I saw someone else doing that. They do keep the area clean, right? Yeah. Right. And so that was... (laughs) definitely being done throughout the day by people so like it was like oh I guess I'll do this right now because yeah it's not time to sit until everything's like back to normal wow but after we had been there a few more days it was like pretty 
we knew what to do and the staff knew that we had been there for a few days. So gave us more and more responsibilities, Uh which felt really like almost a point of pride. You graduated from picking up leaves. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. At first we had to like really work to find something to do. And then they knew that we were hard workers and they were awarding us with more work. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's interesting again, though no it, was, it felt it felt it didn't feel like more work at the time it felt like being acknowledged for being pious almost. yeah totally <laughs> I mean you're staying at a monastery for a week you're in it you might as well earn the reward of helping clean up right and it, it just <laughs> it definitely felt like an acknowledgement of service. that's cool so uh and now i think that was the weirdest part too is that in that process we would see other people we would see newcomers that didn't know what they were doing mm-hmm. uh, and if they weren't trying to help it was um it just felt Like they were, especially if they were Americans, right? That they were giving uh, Americans a bad name or something. Yeah, I'm always very sensitive of that too. Or making, you know, or white people, you know, like it just kind of felt like really stressful. I definitely think there's some people that come through there that like almost want to party. And I don't know what happens to them. Yeah. I remember there was one guy though that we we didn't see at one of the chanting sessions. You know, it was almost like yeah. he dipped out. He didn't want to be a part. You know, they want to go yeah. hiking out in the hills. And I remember I think they had a talking to with him. We saw him back at Pi after we left. Oh wow. <laughs> he might have gotten kicked out or something. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, yeah. Could have. So what was mealtime like? Like, did people chat? Um, Or was it quiet? It was definitely very quiet. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. There was no touching allowed either. Okay. Okay. So like no hugs, no nothing. (laughs) So being with someone that I was dating, like to be separated when we were sleeping and separated the whole time, you know, it was, yeah. and we were going to be silent. We did speak, but we didn't have that much time to speak. Mm -hmm. And we were just kind of processing things on our own kind of level. So we had a little bit to talk about, but not much. Um, But there wasn't a lot of socializing outside of who you came with Mm -hmm. was very much you know, mealtime wasn't like a break from prayer. It was part of prayer. One of the things that really shocked me is, is just kind of the gender roles Mm -hmm. in Buddhist culture. 
um, because it's, it's very unfamiliar to walk into that space and it can be very, uh, shocking at first. Definitely is still embedded in patriarchy in terms of anytime you're eating, anytime you're praying, anytime, you know, in walking meditation, males are always in the front. Hmm. Always. So it's always the monks, the males, female monks, females. So you're all what happens at first, the first experience you have with it, the first experience I have with it is during the first session that we're praying, we, everybody's taking out their mats and going to sit in front to like have a space and males have to sit in the front. So if you're a woman and you sit in the front to get a good seat or even like mid range, yeah, someone's going to come and tap you on the shoulder and to the back of the room and and it happened over and over again every time that new people would come in which was all the time throughout the day like people would be really eager to you know immerse themselves in the experience and to show respect but like in in our culture showing respect to sitting getting a front row seat right (laughs) right showing you're excited to be there yeah culture we we gotta sit behind the males <laughs> and they eat wow. first you know so yeah so I spent two days with this monk um, but the thing that kept coming up was you couldn't hand him something right like not only could you not touch but as a woman I wasn't allowed to directly give him something so right there was like there was a group that came in and he gave a little talk to um, and they wanted to to give him something and they had to ask there were two men in this group of like 30 people. And again and again, they kept having to call on the men to hand him something or to stand between him and the woman when they took a picture or like all of these things like that, that were really hard to get used to. And I spent a lot of time being like, wait, am I allowed to stand this close? Am I allowed to like trying to figure out what the rules were? Right. Lots of rules, lots of trying to like maintain like some connection to the past not changing, you know, I don't know. It puts a lot of stuff into perspective, I think. And Um, like, you know, all, all of these religious beliefs also trickle into just general culture in Thailand too. So how that impacts things. Right. And once you go to the monastery and you see this very um, direct specific, you know, treatment, these very, Mm -hmm specific enforced rules of behavior you know you start seeing how that shows up throughout um thai society where you might not be as um present to it or aware of its influence without seeing and experiencing it yeah interesting Okay, so there was the getting there. Okay, so we okay. were coming from Chiang Mai. Um, Pi is about halfway. I believe it's like a five-hour bus ride. It's 
very remote. It's pretty hard to know, to confidently know you're in the right place. I mean, normally the bus drivers that are going that way know the forest monastery. So if you say forest monastery, they're going to help you get to that location, but Mm -hmm. it's pretty much in the middle of nowhere. There is it. I remember when we got there, there was like a, like almost like a bulletin board by the, where the bus lets you off, but it's pretty much like a trail that's leaving the road. (laughs) I'm trying to Google it um, because I remember that they they had a good website um, and their website included instructions on how to get there. So I guess if anyone's thinking about trying to go, I would just recommend that you find their website. They had lots of good information and I emailed them to ask them a question and they responded right away. So you could get more information. But then you walk, you probably walk like about a mile into the hills. You walk down a road past some like farms. So there's like some large water buffalo that are grazing and there's no real, I mean, there's obviously people who live at these farms, but like, it's very weird in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's no one to ask, you know, and you feel yeah. like, wow, am I just walking down a random road in the middle of Northern Thailand? I just wanted to say, so people knew what they were getting into. Um, You know, I'm, I've had a lot of experience with meditation, mostly kind of self-taught on my own. And I was with someone that had less experience, but I feel like the meditation portion of this was less about clear thought, like silence Mm -hmm. and more about information and kind of meditating on ideas. I just think that there's different ways of meditating. If you think that you know how to meditate, you've been doing Mm -hmm. it for a while. How are you meditating? Like, are you willing to change your definition of meditation? Because I think it is going to challenge some people you know, while you're in Thailand, it's important for you to see other ways of doing things. Cause I think the way that we meditate in America is very Americanized through a different lens. I mean, when in Thailand, go to a meditation retreat, learn how the monks do it. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I would definitely recommend that everybody try some taste of this, whether it's just like going to the monk chat thing that I'll talk about or Mm -hmm. like doing, you know, the little mini two-day version of a retreat that I was planning on doing to immersing yourself for longer, getting a taste of it at the very least seems really worthwhile. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really cool to hear your perspective. Thank you, Laura, for having me. Yes.
Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please leave me a review on whatever it is that you use to listen. Coming up in our next episode, we fly to the south of Thailand and stay in Khao Sok National Park. There are exciting wildlife encounters, a waterfall hike in which the waterfall actually turns out not to be the destination, but the path. Stay on a floating bungalow on the most beautiful lake ever, a cave, and lots and lots and lots and lots of rain. Thanks for traveling along with me.